I came here on a boat. Not a dime in my pocket. I had friends die here, double-crossed by greed. Who put this thing together? Me! Now Sosa thinks you're gonna take everything I ever had. You wanna go to war? We'll take you to war, okay? Thinks I'm just gonna lay down and die. But Tony Montana, don't die that easy. Cockroaches and welcome to Cinemarcade. This is the podcast about movies, video games, and the sparks that fly and the bullets that fly when those two worlds collide. Uh, my name is Steve Guntley, and I'd like to invite you listeners to to say hello to my little friends. Who's joining me here today? Hi, hello. This is Justin. Uh, this is Jayban. Well, we are very excited today because uh, it's early in the morning and we're eating a bunch of Dutch babies and drinking a lot of coffee and trying to stay awake, which is not a problem that I think the main character of our subject today really has a problem with. <laughs> I think, no, he's, I think very, he's good. He's rather alert, uh, let's say. He's, he's, uh, I don't know if I would say alert. Okay, but... he's, he's uh, uh, hyperactive, let's say. Let's go with that. Um, because today we're talking about Scarface. Uh, this is both the 1983 movie movie and the 2007 video game and holy shit is there a lot to dig into <laughs> with this with this duology here uh absolutely wild couple of uh, products here um yeah all right so what's everybody's experience with scarface uh, my first experience with this movie was, uh, like many young women, uh, in the dorm rooms of men. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. I remember seeing so much in college, uh, the Scarface poster everywhere, absolutely everywhere. Um, and um, I, for, I just left it at that for a while. And, like, people, like, men, like, man boys uh, of the college age would just be all like oh yeah it's like one of the greatest movies that's ever existed i was like oh i guess i gotta watch that someday uh and then i think i was working through a list maybe during covid and i finally watched scarface and i was just like wow that's a long movie uh it's it's definitely long oh God, yeah. yeah it's kind of I mean, we'll get into Two this. Two hours and 50 minutes. It's hefty. It's a hefty sit. It's a hefty sit. Um, wow. How about you? When did you see this movie? Um, I saw this movie on TV at some point. So, yes, they <laughs> heavily did censored. heavily censor it, except they did that fun version where they replaced the words instead of bleeping the words. <laughs> Come over uh, here, you mother father. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot of talking about eating pineapple, which was interesting. Because um, actually, that would change the meaning of that, because you could absolutely get a scar on your face eating pineapple. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then <laughs> that was the thing. And uh, and so uh, I didn't really care for the movie all that much, but uh, I had uh, – the way that this worked out was – I could go to my cousins and play any video game because my mother would not let me play most video games. So I played a lot of Scarface because it was actually a game that I found interesting. Um, so I've played a lot of the game, if it, if not having finished the game. And you and were only 10 years old. I Yes, yeah. I, was a, <laughs> I was way too young. However, <laughs> that is wild to me. Um, that he just didn't have a concept of what you were playing. It's like, oh, well, mom, I just dealt a bunch of drugs. Like, yeah, <laughs> I just dealt I, cocaine to the I, Colombians. I think I was, I think I was eleven when the game came out, so I was probably eleven, oh, eleven yeah. to twelve. It's much um, better. That's yeah. that's the that's the yeah. age you, that you're allowed. Yeah, to. you're you're an adult at that point. That's yeah. the appropriate yeah. age. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, I this this was the first time watching the movie and actually like trying to watch the movie. Because before, I just threw it on the TV. It was on TV, and I was like, oh, okay, whatever. Yeah. I had a, like, 
10 to i had like a 14 inch tv or something and then i had like a like 25 inch tv and so cable was on the small tv video games on the big tv Mm -hmm. and so this was in my bedroom at the time and so i it was like on that tv while i was playing a game yeah so i wasn't even like paying full attention to it so you were just getting the full immersive Scarface experience on that one, yeah. Yeah, well, I wasn't playing Scarface because this is at oh, okay, okay, okay. Didn't have that. Oh, one. that's right. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I was probably. Be... God, I don't even know what I would have been playing. I don't even think the Xbox 360 wasn't out. Banjo Kazooie. <laughs> like I was <laughs> a playing companion something piece. on the PlayStation too. Yeah. Okay. Maybe the original Xbox at that time. Are you saying this movie didn't change your life? No. I, I was having this conversation with uh, some friends of mine because um, we were talking about like how horror fans in general, people who really love horror movies, tend to be surprisingly sweet and normal and kind. Like uh, it really is true. Like if you talk to somebody who's like hardcore into horror and gore, they're like the nicest people in the world. Uh, but if people say that Scarface, uh, Fight Club, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. If they if people say that those are their favorite movies, huge red flag. Honestly, <laughs> because it generally incredible. means that they are misunderstanding the characters really yes. badly. Uh, you know, like people are seeing themselves in Tony Montana or seeing like an aspirational figure there when that is expressly the opposite purpose that the film is trying to convey like the, the the express idea is that this is a bad guy who does bad things and deserves to die but somehow over the course of the the years like the culture has adopted tony as like this figure of badassery you're this guy who doesn't take any shit and you get everything done and you hustle and you work hard and nobody says anything to you it's all about respect and balls you know so you should be drinking monster is so that what you're saying? yes absolutely i I have a question for you. Yes. This movie came out on December 9th. Um, is this a Christmas movie? Because there's a hell of a lot of snow. <laughs> <laughs> I would say. I think we need to fold this into the canon. Yeah, this is a Christmas movie. I mean, yeah, we don't know. Miami doesn't have seasons. We can't tell. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> had a solid argument this week uh, about what constitutes a Christmas movie because one of my roommates doesn't think Die Hard is a Christmas movie, and it oh, is. Yeah, yeah sure. Um, I mean, you know, it Christmas play. I think the, the cutoff is does Christmas play an element in the plot somehow? And, yeah, absolutely. It's a Christmas party. That's what they're there for. He even writes ho, ho, ho on a dead guy. Yeah, and that's what, just what Santa does. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's how people don't realize that. Santa actually kills people and writes ho, ho, ho on them. And that's what <laughs> I love the American dad version of Santa. <laughs> oh, I don't know that version. You don't know that version? No, I haven't watched the show. He's a very tough son of a bitch. Mm. Okay, all right, all right. <laughs> I highly uh, recommend next time Christmas rolls around, just watch like all 13 Christmas episodes of American Dad. <laughs> okay, all right, I'll need to check this out. Uh one of the things that I did, was doing while I was watching the movie was I was kind of – I was, like, drawing parallels to Walter White in Breaking Bad. Yes. Because they have, like, a mildly similar rise to power in the drug trade, except uh, you start off at least accepting Walter White and being like, oh, he's, he's all right. Yeah. If, if not liking Walter White, and you end up hating him, and Tony Montana – doesn't have that same trajectory. It starts an asshole from way one. closer to not liking him yeah. and ends even more in the not liking him. Yeah. Um, yeah, there well, is maybe not more, but still. It's an um, interesting note that there's never a point where we see like an innocent Tony Montana. But let, let's get into some a couple uh, of little details about the movie here. So Scarface, like you said, was released December 9th, 1983. Ho ho ho. It was directed by Brian De Palma. It's written by Oliver Stone. And it stars Al Pacino, Stephen Bauer, Michelle Pfeiffer, Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio, Robert Loggia, and F. Murray Abraham. And a lot of people do forget that this movie's a remake because I think this one looms much larger than the original 1930 version, but or 1932. But that one stalled, starred uh, Paul Mooney. It was directed by Howard Hawks and produced by Howard Hughes. And it's about an Italian immigrant who uh, rises up the ranks in the Chicago crime family. So Al Pacino became interested in developing this remake, and he was going to be like a straight like remake set in the 1930s, and it was going to be kind of following the beats of the movie. But the original director, who was uh, Sidney Lumet, one of the one of the greats, um, he suggested 
adapting the story to be more modern and make it be about Cuban immigrants because uh, there was the U.S. was experiencing this mass influx of Cuban immigrants in the late 70s and early 80s. What they call the um, what was it called the Mariel boat lift? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, which is a, a really interesting thing to read up on. But um, so after Lumet left the project due to creative differences with uh, Pacino's producer Brian De Palma was brought on, and he brought uh, Oscar-winning screenwriter Oliver Stone along with him to write the screenplay. And ironically, Oliver Stone was reluctant to take on this project because he was battling his own severe cocaine addiction. And he had to go detox in Paris um, before he could actually start writing this very heavily cocaine-fueled movie. I so he was actually sober by the time this movie was being written. I love the idea of Paris being the only place. Yeah. yeah. I like, mean, hey. I have to go to Paris. The cocaine the here is terrible. Detox. Yeah. Chris, well, croissants are a powerful weapon in the croissants, fight against addiction. Cigarettes yeah. and coffee. <laughs> and pretension. Um, yeah, so this film originally earned an X rating because of its language and violence. Yes, the X rating was still a thing back then. And uh, De Palma initially tried to edit the film down, but he quickly realized that the MPA wouldn't be appeased no matter what he did. So he decided to just stick with his cut and appeal the rating, which he successfully did. Got this movie an R rating instead. And for a long time, this movie held the record for most F-bombs in a movie. It has 207 <laughs> uses of the word fuck. Uh, this day, these days, I looked at the rankings. It's down to number sixty-eight. So <laughs> it has fallen quite significantly. I think Wolf of Wall Street has it beaten. The South Park movie has it beaten. Um, and the South Park movie is pretty impressive because it's like ninety minutes long, and this one's one hundred and eighty minutes long. Well, there's also at least one song where they just say "fuck" a lot. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so there, this movie was a financial success. It made $45 million on a $20 million budget. But critics at the time were either negative or dismissive. Uh, De Palma actually got a Razzie nomination for Worst Director. If you know, take I have my issues with the Razzies, but you know that is kind of a sign of where he was at the time. Uh, but the film was eventually reappraised as a classic, and it has this massive cult following. It was particularly big in the hip-hop community. Like Rappers like Nas and Jay-Z really built up the profile of this movie and it became kind of associated with rap it was sampled heavily in a it, lot of songs it sampled very heavily even by the lonely island <laughs> lonely Island. So, um but it's it's considered one of the most quotable movies of all time which is pretty hard to ignore or hard hard to deny um there's at least half a dozen lines in here that have been pretty heavily referenced in other films Okay, but I want to get into some of the issues that I have with this movie and some of the issues that a lot of people have had with this movie, um, particularly the overwhelmingly negative depiction of the Cuban immigrant community. So the opening title crawl, it says that 125,000 Cubans who emigrated here during the Mariel boat lift, nearly 20,000 of them had a criminal record. Now, this statistic is completely inaccurate, okay? It, it, it neglects to mention that a lot of the people that had those criminal records were either political dissidents or they were being jailed for things that Castro deemed illegal, like homosexuality. You know, the number of violent criminals, like actual, like scary serial killer type people who are in those prisons was closer to like 2000. So significantly less than the 20,000 this movie is saying. And so Latino groups protested this movie uh, for all these negative depictions, as well as the fact that in this movie with almost exclusively Cuban characters, there was only one actor of Cuban descent in the entire movie. That's Stephen Bauer. He's the only one. Uh, everybody else is Italian. Um, and that's something I wrestle with with this movie. Like Pacino is giving a really I think I think it's a really good performance here. I think it's a very committed, very uh, uh, consistent and very intense performance. But he's also doing a very broad accent that's been imitated a lot by people who maybe don't approach it sensitively in any way. And it, it just it reflects pretty poorly. Like, we don't really see any other um, immigrants well, I, in this movie that aren't, like, drug kingpins, you know? And you could tell a little bit there was some brown face going on. There was definitely yeah. some, like, tanning situation of, like, some of the Italian-Americans who weren't that tanned to start off with. Right. Um, and that's a little, like, eek. Ouchie. Um, not the best look. Right. And I, I think especially this movie is, you know, it, it's it's a, a parable about, like, 
the the corruption of the American dream, you know, the idea that anybody can pull themselves up by the bootstraps and become a great success, which is what happens to Tony in this movie. But it does often great feel success. like it's just like picking on this one community, you know, in, in a, a, a way that I don't know, it doesn't feel great. And the almost complete lack of Latino actors in this movie is kind of a problem, I think. Um, but it's also kind of an undeniable movie. It, it's pr it's ferociously entertaining. Like I know it's a three hour movie, but I have no problem sitting and just watching this movie because it is it's fast paced, it's memorably written. It's got a lot of big outlandish performances and that ending is so operatic and insane that you kind of need to see it to believe it. Um, I don't know where you guys came down on this one on your rewatch. I don't know. I had many reservations when I first watched this movie mm -hmm. and they were only magnified by the second watch of this movie. Yeah. Uh, Al Pacino, like I think Al Pacino, um, he has a much more subtle performance than like all the imitations and people joking around and quoting Al Pacino. Yeah. Um, and I think that that sort of, you know, cause that's where I, I had seen this quoted by many, many a boy, <laughs> uh, like, um, saying, uh, say hello to my little friend and like, these like obnoxious tones. Uh, I, I do have to say, I cannot, think of a single time of all the times i've heard people quote this movie i've never heard a woman quote this movie until just now when you said <laughs> say hello to my little friend so i think that says a lot yeah but no please continue but um okay i'm trying to like so it, it's real hard sometimes to so i'm gonna start with the positives yeah. i really like al pacino yeah uh, I love the setting of Miami. Like, it really feels like this is set in Miami. I believe it was shot in Miami. Mm -hmm. And it... Well, a lot of it's California, but a, a lot of the exterior shots are Miami. Yeah. Well, it feels like Miami. It does. Like, it, one of the... Gr all great, in my personal opinion, great horror movies, great movies in general, the setting is a character. Mm -hmm. And I really feel like they nail the character of what I perceive Miami to be, which yeah. is like beaches and fun and uh like neon and, yeah <laughs> uh, nightclubs with hopefully better dancing than in the movie because like i know it was the 80s but like michelle pfeiffer does like this weird version of the dip um <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> over and over again um and um so first of all michelle pfeiffer <laughs> very young michelle pfeiffer here only her second film role after grease 2 <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're doing a series on Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, so beautiful. Uh, and given such a weird role, it's such, she's just basically uh, a drug kingpin's trophy wife yeah. uh, or trophy significant other. Um, and um, like, and it's just so true. Like this guy kills her boyfriend and he's all like, get your stuff. Come in, move with me. Right. <laughs> he already proposed to her beforehand and she was just like, bro, what the fuck? Well, she, she's going to gravitate towards the money and the power. So like, I think she's going to gravitate towards the cocaine. Oh, yes. Um, that as well. Like, uh, yeah. Whoever has those three elements is like, all right, well, I guess this is where I'm going. So, well, there, and there's like this level of like, you come to a woman, she's sleeping and you're covered in blood and you've killed her boyfriend. I feel like yeah. that's a little coercive. Um, yeah. You know, like, I, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, she, she doesn't make good decisions in this movie. Oh, no. 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 Like the the thing to me is like as I was watching this, I was wondering exactly what they thought about the scene when they were making the movie. I was like, do they think that this is some kind of like you know great grand gesture of love, or is do they think that this is romantic from like she... the the quote man's perspective, or did they? How much? What did they? There think is of this one scene? moment in the entire movie where she acts favorably towards him, and that's when she laughs at him for putting on her hat. Yes, that is the only positive interaction 
they ever have in the entire movie. It's also the one attempt he makes to be charming yeah. in a traditional way. Like, it's the one time he kind of breaks well, down. The, because he doesn't want her for her. He wants her because she is the beautiful trophy wife. Like, she, he wants what everything that his, his kind of mentor, Frank, well, has. And I think it's really interesting that when he... After he marries her, uh, she, he finds her deficient. Like, why don't you go be do something charitable? Like, he somehow thought that ma by marrying her, she was going to become this charitable matron of, like, like his mother. Like, something yeah. like that. Um, and it's just like, so, Al Pacino, something that I love about Al Pacino, and you see this a lot in... Um, Oh God! What's the movie called where he's The Godfather? Um, <laughs> where he plays a blind character. Oh, Scent of a Woman. A Scent yeah. of a Woman. Yeah. He he's such a charming person. He can he, be. The way he like the way he acts when he first sees Michelle Pfeiffer, like he's just like he's like his eyes are falling out of his head, but in this like, gotta keep it cool. Like he, uh, Al Pacino can ha act in a way that makes like. A, a woman like even like just seem so beautiful that it's like distracting he's very good at that acting yeah uh, and that vulnerability of being all like i'm a dumbass um that you know that be truly beautiful women cause men to be dumbasses yeah um and um this the, there's so much misogyny in this movie um so much it's just which like, is again not i don't think it's a misogynist movie i think it's a movie about misogynistic characters oh, yeah but it, no, yeah, yeah they're definitely like uh, like i was surprised in the writing where like his sister is like i am a grown adult i will do what i want with my body yeah and, and she's like and and then he slaps her yeah uh <laughs> which is just like uh, yeah, he's got this insane, like, I know Oedipal's the wrong word because it's not his mother, but he does have this insane kind of, like, attraction slash protection slash obsession with his little sister. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just like, oh, my God. But there's just, like, so there's three female characters, main like, named characters in this movie, mm. um, and it's just, like, it's so dramatic and over the top and... Um, like the women tr are trying to live their own lives, like mm -hmm. in these weird ways, uh, but it's just like uh, I don't know. I was like, when that woman lounging on a um, a beach chair mm. slapped him across the face, I was like, yes, yeah, yeah. this is like yes, yeah. Well, but she slapped Manny, yeah, yeah, slapped yeah. Manny yeah. The Which face. like I don't think uh, uh, Tony would have stood for that. Like I think that would have uh, uh, gotten really ugly, really fast but i mean yeah what I, a I, weird way to try to pick up women though it <laughs> is As somebody who doesn't really try to pick up women that's still weird i can't imagine there was ever an era when just walking up and like I, flicking your that tongue is at them like a lizard happened to me has it really <laughs> yes it has oh men suck. was it from somebody who saw the movie it was like i don't that's know it. like these like it is it is troubling because you're just like what are you thinking? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Does that really get your motor running? It's like, well, okay. Congrats, dude. Yeah, you can you can yodel. I guess I don't know. What you, I don't. I don't know what you want me to take it's from like, this. And it it kind of lends to me. And this is something that is becoming less, but it's still around. There was this weird thing in the days before me. Where the, men, the, the pre, days before the pre, you. the pre Justin pre, era, the, the BJ, the, the BJE, oh, yes, oh boy, no. okay, oh, okay, no. all right, um, where like men got satisfaction or seem to have gotten satisfaction from just being disgusting. Well, um, it's it's all an offset of like this is not before you, Justin. Oh, no, no. This is concurrent. This is concurrent. <laughs> it's, it's saying like it's it seems Someone to be say less it's because of, thing of you now. Yeah, no. Okay. Uh, it's it's something that seems to be slowly dying out. Like obviously it's still around. That's because of the me but too. It used to movement. be more prominent. Which yeah. Is good. Well, and like, I was thinking about that. Like, cause this is this is the seventies and the eighties. We're kind of seeing the corruption of the sexual revolution of the sixties, mm -hmm. where like it's the free love era, and then it sort of became like picking up women became sort of like a competitive sport. And like you had to like issue these lines and everything. I, I don't know. I it was before it was it was BS uh, the the BS era. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know yeah. whether or not Saturday Night Fever has a video game, but like <laughs> this not. is this sort of era of like this sort of like misogynistic peacock man. Yeah, uh, that is 
um so attracted to women but so repulsive to women <laughs> like that okay so these men are movie stars they're insanely attractive sure and you're still gonna slap them across the face because they're being fucking disgusting yeah um, yeah no Stephen Bauer is a good looking dude yeah and he's you know yeah but he, he's well, and, really, and he's like the one kind of likable character in this I, movie I honestly thought it was really bold of Al Pacino to be next to him because he is so beautiful well yeah and I think we want to emphasize too that Tony is not a handsome man he's not like tall or powerful or anything he's very slight he's got the scar on his face and he's like he's uneducated he's uncultured but he's ferocious he's focused and he's uh ruthless staring is always just a little bit creepy he's staring, always creepy. staring away from the epic amounts of misogyny mm-hmm. i do think it's interesting and I, I i sometimes war because some of the best films that have been made are mobster movies but yeah. i personally abhor mobster movies okay. for a couple of reasons first of all i've always had a weird relationship with tragedies mm. like even shakespearean tragedies i'm just like Aah. feels exploitative yeah <laughs> well, it's not even that it feels exploitative it's just that people are such assholes making such stupid decisions and you're just like oh what hamlet you're gonna stab through a curtain what are you thinking <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah no there is there is always that element of like backseat driving a little bit it's like no that's not what i would have done yeah but yeah. that's of course the the point yeah but it's the point and it's so interesting because like scarface is supposed to be a tragedy yeah but there's just something about like uh like everyone having a hard on for cocaine mm. that it's just like and like this excess lifestyle that makes it not come across as a tragedy yeah and i feel like when you when tony montoya dies you're like yeah he died the way he lived instead of wow that was tragic yeah you know yeah and i i think that you're right where it is it a tragedy if you never really feel tragic about it because at the end you're just like well yeah you got what was coming to you oh Uh, yeah no it's not that you didn't deserve this (laughs) and really the whole point is just this corruption of like the the immigrant story you know it's this idea that that you can come here and make whatever you want out of yourself but what happens if a sociopath comes over here and wants to make himself the biggest scariest man in town you know like what happens when that american dream gets corrupted you know, and it's it's not a subtle point that they make. I mean, as we we the final shot of the movie is him floating in a pool of blood under a sign that says "The world is yours." You know, it's not a subtle, but this is not a movie that uh, traffics in subtlety. No, uh, you know, it's big, it's brash. You know, I, I have uh, I I run really hot and cold on Brian De Palma, mm-hmm. like where I find his movies so fascinating, but I also struggle with how derivative and sleazy they are. This is weirdly one of the movies that feels most anonymous for Mm -hmm. him because it's it's not like dripping with hitchcock references or like you know excessive nudity or gore things like that i mean there's a lot of gore in this movie but it's i think this is very stylishly made and i think it's well paced i think he is the right director to keep this thing moving uh you know it's also like seeing pacino in this must have been a pretty jarring movie because before this he was known for being very soft-spoken and subtle look at him in the godfather and serpico things like that he's he's a quiet kind of reserved guy with like kind of a high voice and then from this point on it's all deep voice it's all who are yelling like now every performance is like ratcheted up to a 12 and that's fun to watch but you do miss like the more subtle things from like dog day afternoon or stuff Mm -hmm. like that you know which i think is his best performance um overall that's a fair i really like the original godfather but i think that's a fair that's a bit fair dog day is so good but Um, yeah uh yeah i I think he's great i mean this whole cast is really stacked and uh, uh really fantastic but it it is a movie that kind of it, it does for whatever reason like I, I watched it and I'm like I'm really enjoying the experience of watching this I think it's a really well crafted well written well acted movie and there's just still that element of kind of ickiness about it because yeah. it just it, it's so it, it revels in so much like grime and uh makes you sit with these really irredeemable characters for three hours yeah of of the major characters like Manny is probably the most likable, even yeah. though he's not 
especially at the beginning he's very unlikable yeah. and then he no longer does any of that stuff which isn't necessarily meaning he's a changed man but we might just not be seeing him being a, a creep uh in the background he's still a murderer but, you know yeah, he still he's still not people. a good guy yeah. and he's if that's the the closest relatable character it does make it difficult to relate to anybody because it's like no, none of them are desirable characters nobody nobody should want to be any of them no but he, because it, it became so corrupted because like you know and i we'll we'll get to the game in a second but i think the game is a real perfect extension of the public perception of this movie versus the reality of this movie that i think that de palma and oliver stone were trying to convey uh and the way that it's gotten kind of corrupted um it, it's a really interesting kind of way to look at it um it was interesting to see that Tony Montana is not a complete monster in the sense that, like, the women and kids thing. He's, like... <laughs> gets a gold star for that. Yeah. That, he gets, uh, that's the one, he, like, decent thing he does. Yeah, he gets one gold star and, like, 50 demerits. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's such a super weird, interesting thing. And it just shows how much, like, the character of Tony Montana... Montana it, like, he has... It's like the thing where it comes up in Dungeons and Dragons sometimes where it's like he lives by a code. Mm -hmm. It's different from everybody else's, but goddamn does he adhere to it, even if it doesn't make sense to anyone else but him. Well, and he, he says in the movie, like, he never lies, and that's true. Like, he does not ever lie, and he does not ever hold back what's on his mind. He acts impulsively, and he sticks to it. Uh, you know, the, the movie's got a pretty solid, like, three-act structure. I think we have early in the film where we see he's the, the immigrant who just got here, and he's, like, you know, uh, uh, figuring his way around. The middle chunk is as he's rising to power, making all of his moves, like, trying to get himself in with the Bolivians. And then the final act, which I think is still the most compelling, is where he has achieved everything he wants to achieve, and it's left him empty and callous and completely drug-addled. His life is fucking miserable, but he's surrounded in this opulence all the well, time. Well, it's so funny that you watch that and you're just like, you're in a giant bubble bath watching a movie Yeah. with a wife that you don't love. No. Uh, with your friend who you don't trust fully because you don't trust fully trust anybody. Yeah. And you're like, is this is what I... This is what I, I'm I doing this for. I work for this. I work for this. And, and it's just like... I don't, and I and I've, I've, I I kind of liked that scene because it's just like yeah, this is what you're doing it for. <laughs> you're yeah, like, woohoo! Uh, but it's just um, it, it's it's interesting uh, because they just prior to that they had the I'm making money and spending money montage, <laughs> um, and the money montage. I was like, oh my god, this is such an eighties film. It's like, so eighties, yeah. I mean, the soundtrack's incredible. It's uh, Giorgio Moroder, who's like the the Italian king of the disco scene, and uh, he's he's curating this whole soundtrack, and it's really synthy and poppy and very of its era. Yeah, and what the hell? was with the floor show at the Babylon when he about to get shot. Oh. This, like, this, this guy <laughs> in this massive, silent, cl clown-esque show, but he's not a yeah. clown, and he's just like... Is this the is this what happened in Miami nightclubs? Is this a thing? So, like cocaine. Something that I also thought was really interesting was how many of you guys watched Law and Order? I've never I, seen I've an seen episode Law of Law and Order. Order. Yeah. So uh, there's a character named Detective Munch, uh -huh. and uh, the actor who plays him, I have forgotten the name, Richard Belzer. He's the he's the MC at the club. He's the guy yeah, who introduces he is. Yes, he is. that act. I yeah. was like, I saw his face and his hair, and I was like, that's him. That's yeah. the man. There's a uh, this is a digression, but there's a very interesting theory surrounding Detective Munch because he's cameoed on other shows. Like he always is pops he up on a bunch the of other same shows. Guy. So there's a theory that like there's this they call it the Munchiverse. You know, there's this whole <laughs> that all of this exists like with it. So and and it all ties back to a show called Saint Elsewhere. Basically, it's implying that seventy percent of TV is all just a dream that took place on that show because of all the different tendrils to reach out. It's an interesting theory to look into. I'm, I'm uh, not really summarizing it very well. But uh, I want to talk about this finale because the last, like, 30 minutes of what this movie finale. is where it things really start cranking up. Uh, Tony discovers that Manny has been uh, hooking up with his sister, 
and just thoughtlessly he pulls out a gun and shoots his best friend and kills him so thoughtlessly just impulsively he doesn't even so, yeah he's coked out of his mind I, no so he's coked out of his mind but i personally really did uh like these moments where all of the sound dropped out and he has these moments of he's just filled with rage yeah and like i just feel like there's like this masculine rage fueled situation that i felt like actually was brought across really well yeah in these in the, like those things where it's like it, and it's definitely um like like it it feels very authentic the the rage um, and it's the one moment we see him express regret yeah. or or thought like i think that's the moment he realized yeah he, he even realizes that he's gone too far finally because it turns out that his sister uh, and manny had secretly married and we're going to tell him they've been married for less than a day and now they force her to go back to the mansion this is a really good performance by mary elizabeth master antonio uh like where she's realizing she's being brought back to tony's house and she loses her mind and um but then you know uh, a bolivian hit squad sent by a rival dealer named sosa arrives at the mansion and starts opening fire on the house the sister is killed and tony has his final stand where he uh literally sticks his face in a mountain of cocaine on the top of his desk basically fuels himself up to the maximum pulls out a machine gun and starts killing as many of these assassins as possible and this is so operatic and crazy this is where we get say hello to my little friend this is uh okay i'm reloaded all of this stuff like all these great lines and he just dies in this horrible uh spout of blood like he's he's getting shot and absorbing all these bullets and he's still shouting taunts and then he gets shot in the back falls into his fountain and dies which i think on its own it's like he actually gets killed and sure he was probably gonna die anyway but he actually gets killed because somebody else got one over on him. Yes. Mm -hmm. He was outsmarted by somebody who snuck up behind him and shot him in the back. Yes. That he wasn't expecting. And there's always going to be somebody who's younger and hungrier and deadlier. It, it and, yeah. goes to show it's like it's like an Icarus story except worse. <laughs> yeah. No, like, it's absolutely. Uh, it's he, hubris. He flew it's... way too close to the sun, learned his own hubris. But, like, again, drawing another comparison to Breaking Bad. Walter White has one of these moments, and uh, Walter White is able to do at least, like, one final redeeming thing yeah. uh, before he dies. Right. Tony Montana? No. No. Spoilers, man. Nothing. Spoilers. Yeah. Uh, but um, I think it's uh, really interesting, and I think this is one of the reasons why I don't think it, like, pans out as true tragedy uh, other than, like, making them – think everything is awesome is that um his choice to save lives is what causes him to get murdered exactly the one yeah Instead the one of thing going for a bigger cut a bigger territory instead of him trying to get more um it's him trying to be uh, I don't want to say better person, but like a, a non-murderer of children. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. That he 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 draws a line one time on his ruthlessness, and that's what ultimately gets him killed. But I think we can all agree he is unambiguously dead at the end of this movie. Yes, yes. there's no wiggle room on this. <laughs> yeah. This is a this is a dead dead man. I think that's a good time to transition to talking about Scarface the video game. Uh, Scarface, the world is yours. The world is yours. This game was released October 10th, 2006. It's developed by Radical Entertainment, published by Vivendi Universal. It was available on PS2, Xbox, Wii, PSP, and Windows. Okay, so firstly, I want to say I think you could argue that video games help a bolster Scarface's reputation as a movie like about as well as any other medium because I think especially... In the early 2000s, we're getting a lot of Grand Theft Auto games. Those are the games mm -hmm. that are really blowing up in, like, 2001. In 2002, we get Grand Theft Auto Vice City, which is basically just Scarface, right? It's it's set in the Heavily 80s. Influenced. It's set mm -hmm. in, like, a Miami-looking place. You're playing as Ray Liotta plays the main character, and it is about building up your reputation, uh, earning a lot of money, buying mansions, becoming king of the drug trade. And that game actually uses the entire Giorgio Moroder soundtrack from Scarface in the game. So they're not being shy about the influences there. 
Uh, and so that game was such a massive, massive success that with the movie's popularity surging as uh, uh, more people are discovering it through the game, uh, and the time seemed right for a game adaptation. So Al Pacino agreed to lend his likeness to this game. He decided not to voice the character himself because he had aged 20 years and he sounded very different than he did in 1983. So instead, he handpicked a sound alike, a guy named Andre Sogliuzzo. Uh, but we also had a lot of the original cast returning, including Robert Loggia and Stephen Bauer playing different characters. This game also features the talents of James Woods, Wilmer Valderrama, uh, Cheech Marin, uh, Tommy Chong, Megan Good, Lemmy from uh, Motorhead, Bam Margera is in this game, Michael Rooker, Anthony Anderson, Bai Ling, Elliot Gould, Jay Moore, Michael Rappaport, Robert Davi, Michael York. Insane. Okay, this was really the era of video games where they were trying to pack as many celebrities into these games as possible. And that also includes the soundtrack, which is ridiculously stacked. You got Blondie, you got Run DMC, Johnny Cash, Iggy Pop, Public Enemy, Ministry, Judas Priest, Rob Zombie, the whole original film soundtrack. Like, I can't even, I, I couldn't find how much this game actually cost to develop, but this must have been an insanely expensive undertaking. Um, Oliver Stone was approached to write the script, but he declined, and instead he recommended screenwriter David McKenna, who had just written back-to-back -back, uh, crime stories, American History X and Blow. So, like, a pretty solid pick for this. Uh, and the game was slated for release in early 2005, but uh, it did kind of poorly at E3, and so they decided to delay the game a year to allow for some more development. And there is also a PSP version called Money, Power, Respect, which is released at the same time, but it's a totally different game. That's more of like a strategy, kind of like a turn-based RPG. Ooh. Uh, where you're trying to uh, defend yourself against all these rival gangs. So that one sounds kind of interesting. Uh, this is by far the most complex game that we've talked about on this show, I think, just in terms of systems and length and like um, yeah. things like that. There's a lot going on in this game because this is a Grand Theft Auto knockoff. So uh, this was the era when pretty much every other game was a Grand Theft Auto knockoff. And I, I kind of miss that era. It's been a long time since I played a game like this. But um, yeah, it was like because you had the Godfather game, then you had Scarface, you had the Saints Getaway, Row, yeah, the Getaway, yeah. Uh, Wheelman was that? The, what was the one? That was with, the Vin Diesel one. Yeah, Vin yeah, Diesel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There were there were a ton of these, and uh, you know it was a really prominent thing. And I think this one is regarded as one of the better GTA clones. Like it got good reviews. I think it's a generally well made game. But we need to talk about the weird thing that this game does <laughs> that I think I, th I think this succeeds as a game and completely fails as an adaptation. OK, because this game posits that Tony Montana did not actually die at the end of the move first movie where he very famously and very bloodily dies. In fact, uh, he's such a coked up badass that he's able to shoot his way through. What would you say, five hundred thousand uh, Bolivians? <laughs> a lot of guys. The entire population uh, of Bolivia came here to kill him. And I do want to clarify: the game doesn't mention it, but it is very clear that it's not. While it is a direct continuation, it is very clearly a hey, what if this didn't happen? Right. Yeah. It's uh, it's like a yeah. It's a Marvel. He doesn't what if. like. He's not like floating in the the fountain and then he gets up and goes on his rampage. You you take over at the start of his rampage, but you know that there's a guy coming up behind you, so you shoot him. Yeah. You take uh, him out, and it's it's totally fine. And then and then you begin this game, which I think. It's something that is always an issue with licensed games. Yeah. Um, specifically movie adaptations because you run into the problem of how do I make an interesting game that they've already seen? Mm -hmm. Like if I'm going to make this game directly as a retelling of the movie, they've already seen the movie. How do I make that interesting? And The Godfather did something similar where they're like, what if what if we didn't follow the movie? What if we did something next to the movie? In this yeah, case, you're, you're, afterwards, yeah. the Godfather, you're on the side uh, where you're not any of the major characters. Basically, yeah, there's a scene a like character. there's a mission in that. We'll talk about that game eventually. But there's a mission in that game where it's revealed that your character is the one who put the horse's head in the yes. guy's bed. Mm -hmm. So, like, you are you are – operating behind the scenes of the events of the movie 
Whereas this one just makes it a sequel that it takes place a couple, like a, a few months after mm-hmm. the events of the movie. And it's about Tony trying to rebuild his empire and take out Sosa. And I feel like the obvious way to approach this game was like right there and smacking you in the face, which is retell the movie, just adapt the movie and make it like there. Cause there's a lot of gaps that could be filled in. There's like, mm-hmm. there's a whole middle yeah. section of the movie where he's hustling and he's trying to build up his empire. And we don't really spend a lot of time on that. Like you said, there's the musical montage where we're just seeing it happen. You could just be playing out that. And instead, no, they decided to like give him kind of a redemptive arc. And basically what they do here is make him the badass that all like the douchey college bros always thought he was take away the, the, the uh, uh, consequences of any of his actions and just make him like a super tough, video game hero Mm -hmm. which misses the point of the movie entirely the point of the movie is that he was supposed to fail he's supposed to he's a monster who did horrible things to achieve greatness and it still didn't matter because death comes for us all in the end but not this time no this time he's he's he dropped another quarter he's fine the (laughs) game is like his entire redemption arc and unfortunately i don't remember enough about the game um but I do because right, you, you played this game before you saw the movie. I played this game before I saw the movie. I played this game during an era where most of my memory of that time is gone. However, <laughs> I have like one distinct memory. So I was pretty young. This was one of the games that taught me economics. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I do remember there was a time when I was young. Uh, there was a time when I was playing it. I had played this game so much that I dreamt about the game. Okay. Of like. I've had those. Yeah, yeah. just like yeah. driving around and doing the things. But like not first-person perspective. This was fully third-person, yeah. like as if I was playing the game still. It was such a weird experience to then wake up and be like, I think I've played this game too much. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I mean to not. <laughs> I had that with StarCraft. I once spent oh. an entire day playing StarCraft, and that night I had the worst night of sleep in my life with a pounding migraine and I could not get images of StarCraft out of my head, and it kind of ruined the game for me. So this game has a great soundtrack. Absolutely. It's so stacked. I am a sucker for games with great soundtracks. Uh, but it's so funny because I feel like nowadays they pick maybe 12 songs, and yeah. they just repeat them at nauseum. Uh, but like they're good 12 songs, so you're like, okay, yeah. I'll wander through the wasteland to um, to 16 tons for the, you know, or something Hell like that. Hell yes, yeah. Uh, but it, it's um, it, it, it's so like it's so like I I guess I miss the era of having a hundred songs. Yeah, well, and I I will say that that has specifically been a staple of the the gta clone genre because whether it was saints row grand theft auto they all had large quantities of music like saints row and grand theft auto each would have eight to ten radio stations a game and Mm -hmm. then each one of those radio stations would have like 12 songs 12 to 14 so that you can kind of switch between the different genres um that reminds me have any of you ever bought a video game soundtrack because like my brother definitely bought the uh uh gta soundtracks no i didn't i didn't buy the gta soundtrack because like in in those games you just drive around and listen to it like you don't need the cd but i have i do have games so you have to drive in real life oh yeah Yeah. it's true yeah sometimes you'd have to drive in real life by but the I mean, time I started to drive in real life, Spotify was a thing. Okay. So, All right. We get uh, it. You're young. You're a child. Uh, <laughs> while I do own some CDs, I don't own many. Oh. I own like seven. I've got, a, I've got a wallet, like a big old bursting wallet full of CDs sitting over there on that I, shelf. It's pretty ridiculous. I have every Linkin Park CD <laughs> and a couple <laughs> Billy Talent CDs, and that's okay. it. All right, all right. In one Megadeth CD from back in the day. That's an interesting discography right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah, so this game does have a fantastic soundtrack. And like like I said, if you know GTA, that's what this is. You uh, have a big open map. 
You can drive around. You can steal cars from other people and to get better ones. You can be a misogynist, you just can... like the movie. Oh, okay, this, this is the other thing to talk about. One of the mechanics of this game is called the balls meter. And this is just so funny <laughs> to me because I love how literal this adaptation is. Like Tony in the movie talks about he's got two things. He's got his word and he's got his balls, you know, meaning he he's tough and he doesn't take shit from anybody. And this game translates that into like a a power up system. Like in this game, your testicles are basically like the superstar that make you invincible for a little bit. You know, uh, Once when you get too much testosterone, you have to blow off some steam. You okay? Yeah. When you when your balls meter is totally full, you can press the circle button and you will go into a first person like sepia toned mode where you Rage. are invincible. You don't need to aim, and you'll just like mow down everybody in your way. You don't need to reload, nothing. You nothing. just hold that trigger down and then spray and pray. But you build up your balls meter by shouting taunts at people as you kill them or by driving dangerously or doing like stupid shit. Uh, There's almost like like it, it's it could charitably be called satire, like making fun of the people who like the hyper masculine people yeah. who uh, uh, idolize this movie. But I think it's pretty straight down the line. Like, I think they just thought this would be funny, and they did it. It's the, an interesting part of that was they added a system in where when you shot people, you'd get points. Yeah. But you'd get points based on where you shot them, which means that the game will tell you on the side, when every time you shoot somebody, it'll tell you what part you shot. So, like, left arm, head, decapitation. And, nuts. Uh, and, and, nuts. and then you, you can shoot him was aiming for nuts, like, as much uh, as possible. James J.B. was aiming for nuts. If you – a ball shot. <laughs> Shot is worth 200 points, which I think is the highest. It's a good shot. So that's, if <laughs> yeah. you want to get the balls meter, you have to take out other people's balls to do it. It's such an interesting and weird concept. It's so literal and really, really funny. But uh, that being said, I think this does a lot of things better than the GTA games of this era. Like the GTA games really, really struggled with uh, aiming your weapons. And I think it feels pretty natural here. You've got a lock on and then you can move the little reticle to, for a little bit more specificity. Like uh, if you want to hit them in the chest it's or the head. specifically or... a system that now, since this game, uh, the Grand Theft Auto games have started doing. Exactly, yeah. So they, the, San Andreas and had five, like yeah. a kind of a half-assed version. But then 4 and 5 have a very similar you don't have a box around them like a the lock on box yeah but you do snap to center of mass on your next target yeah and then you can slightly adjust the the stick to then like aim up to the head yeah um and so it's they definitely did and again they did a solid chunk of things right um there were a lot of gta clones that were very forgettable and while this game might not have been a masterpiece, it was still relatively well put together. I think so. Yeah, um, I mean, the driving feels pretty natural. I think the navigation system sucks in this. It's the just like, drug dealing mini games. Oh yeah. Okay, the drug dealing mini game was adapted from like a golf mini game. If you've ever played a golf game, you know you've got like the circular meter, and you need to charge up your shot. And in these, if you want to get a good deal in a drug deal or if you want to bribe the police well, you need to charge up your golf shot, hit it and let it go at the exact right moment. And then you'll, you know, get $10,000 for a key of cocaine or something. Yeah, uh, uh, it's it, it, it basically works, but it is silly. It, um, it, yeah, it, it's a very interesting system. And uh, for me, being a uh, smaller child, uh, I was just like. All right, now I know how to make as much money as possible. So I like mastered that mini game because I was yeah. like, I want money. I want to buy fast cars. Look, I gotta, I, you know, I need good stuff. And there is a system we didn't get to it in our playthrough, but there is a system involved called the Femme Fatale system, where basically, <laughs> brace yourself, y'all, uh, where you you gain additional bonuses to your reputation by getting hot women to come live in your mansion. Scantily, like the. The level of scantily clad women. They are like Very wearing, high. like I was making a joke that is like if that, if that skirt is so short, it actually is a belt. Is it a belt or is it a skirt exactly. or is it a skelt? Yeah, um, it's a skelt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's all the more funny because like I think generally for the era, this game looks pretty good. 
but a lot of effort has been put into making a pretty accurate Al Pacino mm-hmm. replication and almost no effort into yeah. the faces or personalities of any oh. other character. There's a tiger attack early on, and the tiger looks like a Lego figure. Like it's, it's pretty, it's great. pretty hilarious. Um, but then there, there were things that we didn't get to. Yeah. Um, because we basically just played through, essentially the tutorial. Not mm-hmm. even all of the tutorial, because the next thing after what we did is here's how you launder money, and then after that it's here's how you acquire property. And so there's a second like there's a second layer of the game which is pretty major. Yeah. Which is building up and managing the business mm-hmm. um which isn't by any means the most simulated and realistic uh system no but it, it's a very fun way of like conquering territory as you're conquering territory you can start to take over fronts which you can then use to sell drugs through that kind of thing they get you some money um you can also hire employees and these would be like you can hire a driver who will deliver cars for you. You can hire a boat pilot who will deliver boats for you. Yeah. You can hire a hitman where you can switch over to this other character and play as the hitman, do contracts, and then make money. And when you switch back, you get all of that money. Um, you There's an entire system for buying cars, buying stuff at the mansion to like customize it. As you're doing that, the new, the different cars, boats, all of this stuff adds to your respect, which you need to level up. I say level up, but you need to get to certain levels specifically to uh, progress through the game. Yeah. Um, there will be certain times where it's like you don't have enough respect. You have to do this. Um, and so it, it gives you a fun balance of doing missions, which is all that most Grand Theft Auto games are, is just doing missions and doing side missions. Yeah. You have some missions, you have some side missions, and then you have this other thing that you can go do and that sometimes you have to do, uh, but then you can go – sometimes your fronts will be attacked. You can pay extra money to have more bodyguards there, or you can pay a little bit of money and go deal with it yourself every time. Yeah. Um, So it's it's fun. It's the game that taught me, uh, again, a lot about economics and how businesses work, Mm -hmm. which I say that in the broad strokes of like as – at that age, I was like, look, I understand this is not a real business, but I understand – I was a was a clever kid. I understood enough about how things worked to be, like, able to connect dots at certain points of being yeah, like, yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, this obviously isn't a realistic way of managing employees, but <laughs> – No, not so much. No, I mean, you should Are not you be... saying that you're <laughs> – you didn't learn to be a good boss from Scarface? <laughs> I'd be I really mean, worried if you did. So, uh, to to a certain degree, maybe, because there's a definitely a benefit to seeing how not to do things. Sure. To teach you how to do things. So don't be a violent <laughs> thug of a criminal yeah. uh, who berates and murders his staff, but, and you're probably good. Yeah. But in terms of, like, uh, supply and all that stuff, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. It, it put those ideas into my head at an early-ish age of, like, oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Businesses require moving parts beyond just owning the business. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's basically a, uh, a little business school. It's just a little business yeah. school yeah. on a disc. You know? <laughs> yeah. I think it's exactly how we should treat it. Yeah. I'm going to go apply for a CEO position and put that on my resume. <laughs> just slap down the game and just say, look, that's my resume right there, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, I got some balls. Um, I'm going to go into a blind rage if you don't give me this job. Yeah, and then the, the general story takes you through conquering the different groups that have sprung up in your place, yeah. which are – largely people that have been mentioned but not seen yeah yeah so like they mentioned i think like the diaz brothers yeah so like you'll you'll go up against them and then again characters that they reference as being dead in the movie yeah Yeah. like they're already dead (laughs) uh you will usually end in a big battle where you take over you kill them take over and then you move on to the next spot, and then there's some interesting, like, story stuff. Yeah. They actually did write a story, and I think there's a couple flashbacks. Yeah. Um, I think at one point you flash back to Cuba. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, the, the the training sequence, there's, like, an early combat training sequence which shows um, uh, Tony in the army in Cuba in 76, and... That's the other thing to mention. This game has, like, an early cover system, which wouldn't really yeah. blow up yeah. for another couple of years. But, like, you can take cover and, like, aim from behind, like, walls and stuff like that, which, you know, works pretty well. I mean, 
No, I wasn't. Pre- I think okay. I, I think this is a game that is like pretty functional and fun. Like if you put aside how bad shit it is and how much it misses <laughs> the point Absolutely. Of, Absolutely. of the movie, like I think it's pretty solid. Which I guess leads us into sort of a difficult ranking here. I think it's a difficult ranking because I feel like other than Ratchet and Clank, this is one of the first few like real games i'm not counting well like i'm not counting vertigo because vertigo is such a clusterfuck yeah (laughs) but we played a lot of like atari games like arcade style yeah pre-2000 this game feels like a game that you is worth the money you spent on it yeah are you saying the atari games are yeah yeah (laughs) come on you don't want to play gremlins all day long yeah Um, yeah i mean so for me all right, so we every week we're ranking the different games and movies that we're talking about. We're on a scale of a good movie, good game to bad movie, bad game, and everything in between. I I mean I gotta go good movie, good game. Like with heavy asterisks on both. Like I think they're both flawed. I think their cultural impact needs to be analyzed and discussed, but. I don't think it, you can really deny that it's a well-made, entertaining movie and it's a well-made, entertaining game. I don't know that they complement each other in ways that necessarily work, but just on the surface, like you, if somebody puts on Scarface, yeah, I'll watch Scarface. Like I would play. I kind of want to keep playing this game. Like it's a fun, nostalgic little blast for me when every game was a GTA clone. I, yeah, I think I got to give it a good, good. I think if somebody asked me if I wanted to watch Scarface, I would go, what are the other options? Okay, fair, fair. <laughs> so I, I think I think I fall in the good game, but in terms of movies, like, I like a movie, like, a game is different. I don't necessarily need to relate to the main character of a game unless it's a very story-driven game, like The Last of Us or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I don't know, the movie, it was hard to, I say hard. Like, I wasn't struggling to look at the screen, but I was struggling to be that interested in them other than just, like, an action movie. Okay. Um, And so, like, I don't think it was necessarily a bad movie. I think it was an okay movie. All right. Um, But I think the game's pretty fun. Fair enough. Where do you come down, J-Van? Okay, this is going to be a troubling and perhaps controversial decision. All right, bring it. First of all, I'm going to say good game. Okay. It, there's a lot I li- as I mentioned the soundtrack there's a lot to like about it uh, like there's like I could see tooling around this playing like eight hours just chilling uh, kill it like you know I'm I'm a ter- like uh, I was <laughs> it took me a little while to get to the um, uh, <laughs> driving capabilities uh, <laughs> it was fun so to watch to, you try yes. I had to escape the cops I, numerous times I did which ask, you did you successfully yeah. did and I did ask J-Ban and got confirmation that I believe this was the first GTA like game that I yeah, so J-Ban I've lived with people like my brothers my roommates that have played GTA so I've like sat next to a couch and like read a book whilst like multiple weeks and months of GTA have been played. Yeah. Uh, but I have never actually played it because honestly, like it just seemed like the whole, um, uh, sex worker situation. Like it just like, it just really repulsed me. Yeah. Um, you can also just not do those things. Yeah, like you don't I, have to, yeah. but it's just like the, you get points for running people over. It, like, I don't know. It was I just, mean, that works in real life too, though. Uh, yeah. It just never appealed Confirm. to me. Um, and especially when I saw how frustrated people would get and they'd like be screaming at the set. I'm like, I'm good. I'd rather play oblivion. Um, yeah. But honestly, one of the best Elder Scrolls games. Um, but um, let's see. Uh, I'm going to say controversially that I think this is a bad movie. Okay. All right. Uh, these are the caveats. I think it's well made. I think the performances are really good. Um, I just think it misses the point of what a tragedy is. Uh, I think it's. Uh, I love the setting. But I just I don't know I don't know I'm, I'm now I'm backtracking yeah I'm backtracking hard um, I'm going to say um, a movie that's not for me okay <laughs> fair fair uh, I think I've seen it I've now seen it twice in my life I really don't think I ever need to watch it again um, even the beautiful Michelle Pfeiffer like I like I'd much rather see her in Grease 2 you know or something else um, of the many wonderful things speaking of Michelle Pfeiffer and Stardust 
fucking love that. Yeah, she's uh, great in that movie. She's great in that movie. <laughs> uh, but um, so okay, um, good game. Uh, movie's not just not for me. Okay, that's fair. We can adapt. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I kind of agree in the sense that like I don't think I ever need to see Scarface again. Okay. Um, I would like to watch the like nineteen thirty two one. It's good. Yeah, yeah, it's real good. Yeah, definitely worth checking out. And it's much shorter. It? Yeah. So, what's that? How many colors are in it? Two. Two colors. Black, white. Yeah. yeah, yeah right. I guess gray. Gray is in there. Yeah. Uh, gray yeah. is a shade. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, well, a, a wide range of opinions on Scarface, which I think uh, is. Something that that movie's been inspiring since it came out. A lot of opinions, a lot of different takes on it, and I think they're all pretty valid, and I think it's interesting. It's still a fascinating movie to go back and dig into. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, you can find us at Podcast uh, at gmail.com or at Podcast on Instagram. Uh, I'm going to start a threads for us pretty soon, too. So oh, like God. we're going to be on threads. Yeah, I'm, I'm still trying that out, but... Not sure I love it, but we'll I still see. have never seen threads in it, person. It's just I, a social media. App. I, I yeah. was tempted to use it, but I don't like the fact that I can't delete it without deleting my Instagram because my Instagram is too valuable. Like, yeah. even though like I like I don't have that many pictures, I just I still love looking at other people's pictures. It's the uh, one like I consistently use, yeah, yeah, at this point. But yeah, so we'll we'll we'll, we'll let you know. Check uh check the show notes for that. Next week, uh, we are uh, going to bring on a guest who is going to talk about uh, one of her very favorite movies, and I'm excited to play this game as well because uh, this is going to be a fun time. We are going to be talking about Charlie's Angels Ooh. from 2000, <laughs> the, uh, the, the Cameron Diaz, Drew Barrymore, Lucy Liu, Charlie's Angels, and we're going to be playing the game for the GameCube that corresponds with that. Uh, I've never played the game at all, but I did just rewatch the movie, so I'm excited to dig into this uh, Little confection of a film. Oh, okay, good. We don't have to use the GameCube that I use as a microphone stand. Oh no, no, no! Don't worry. We've <laughs> got GameCube another. Over there. We've got another GameCube set up. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We are we are uh, uh, resplendent with GameCubes around here. Uh, so thank you everybody for listening and tune in next week for Charlie's Angels. Bye, you cockroaches. Goodbye. Oh, wow.